Welcome to the Branches podcast. Branches is a community of faith, hope and love in the South Orange County. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about our faith or our community, visit our website at branchesoc.com. You're going to want to open up your Bibles to um, Deuteronomy 15.7. Most people who do read the Bible... Most people don't read the Bible. The people that do don't even know what the Old Testament looks like. And so they hear something like Deuteronomy. They're like, what? Deut means uh, fifth, five. So it's the fifth book. So Genesis, blah, 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 blah. And then you get to Deuteronomy. Let's pray. Father, I pray that um, you would guide us this morning. That uh, your word would be what directs us. And not just the word of God in the Bible but that your word would speak to us. We want to present ourselves to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> so we've been going through as, uh, I don't, I, Tyler didn't say it yet, but uh, we've been going through what does it look like for us as the people of God to care for the poor. And so um, we went through some of that last week. We're going to do it for the next couple weeks. But I want to share a couple situations with you. Uh, one situation, I was... Um, I was on Del Mar Street in San Clemente, and, uh, which is something that most guys try not to do. <clears throat> but I was on that street, and I was parked. And then uh, this guy came up to me, and I did the same thing that you did. I was like, oh, I should, maybe I should pretend I'm on the phone or roll up the window because he was coming to ask for money. And so he was coming up to ask for money to go. Um, he, he had some reason why he needed money. And so he came up with his reason. And as a pastor, as a person that has um, studied the Word of God, I've had professors that, you know, and I like to read. And I feel like I have a very small handle on the Word of God, but enough to know what I should do in this situation. So he came up and he asked for money. And I said, no. Then I had another situation um, where my friend and I, John Norton, for those of you guys that are part of Branches, uh, you know who he is. He's uh, my best friend. We went to college together. He speaks here a lot. He's the guy that goes up and down the aisles and speaks so loud that the sound guy always has a hard time trying to figure out what levels to put him at because he redlines all the time. We were up in L.A. and we were driving and um, we pulled in to get gas, dropping someone off at the airport. And there was uh, a guy there with a Mercedes and he goes, hey, man, and he pulled out his keys and he popped it. Whoop, and the trunk went up. He goes, that's my car right there. And I was like, yeah, I don't think you need to pop your trunk to let us know it's your car. But, yeah, that's my car. You know, it makes it pop up automatic. You guys know. All your trunks do that, right? So it pops up. Because that's my car. I, I don't have any gas. I don't have any money. Like, it is my car. I'm not making this up. Can you help me out? And John goes to give it to him. I'm like, you shouldn't do that, man. Pastor guy. Talking to literature professor guy. You shouldn't do that, man. And I know you're wondering, where in the heck are we going with this? Everything I'm sharing with you is in the Word of God. We're going to unpack those stories a little bit more, but even more importantly, we're going to look into the Word. Now, I get it. We talked about it last week from Isaiah 58. We need to care for each other. We need to care for the poor. Look here at Deuteronomy 15.7. If anyone is poor among your people in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God has given you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed. How cool is that imagery? Rather, be open-handed 
and freely lend them whatever they need. And then some of you are like, wait, Book, do you not just hear the story you just shared? And this says to be open-handed, and then what are you doing here? We'll get there. Because what I want us to do is I want us to really look at what it means to be poor and in need. And what does it look like? Well, if we're going to care for the poor and the needy, we need to know who they are. And so to do that, um, we're going to create another situation where you have to interact with each other. I know you're like, but all the chairs are facing forward. We're not supposed to interact. We just stare at you, and then we leave, and we don't look at anybody. Sorry. We're blowing that whole thing out of the water right now. With a minimum of three people, try not to go bigger than five because then it's too big and you can't do it. But for about two minutes, you're going to answer this one question. What does it mean to be poor? That's your question. What does it mean to be poor? And you have to answer it in a sentence. So you know how sometimes you don't really have an answer, so you just keep talking till an answer kind of arrives? The best you can, make it in one sentence. So introduce, introduce yourself to the people around you, groups of three, four, five, whatever. Just not a group of two. You know, you came with somebody else, and you're like, okay, good. We got out of this because we know each other. We're going to ignore everybody else. That doesn't count. Okay? And if you came in a group of three, come on, add someone else in. If you came with a group of five, okay, just stick with each other or split up because then you're getting out of control. But answer that question. What does it mean to be poor? That's the question in one sentence. Okay, go. A couple minutes. Okay, so what we're going to do is, is I want to show you something different from your answers. Okay, so you answered how you would define what it means to be poor. Um, the way we define poor, we're going to discover, is much different than what the actual poor describe as poverty. And it's because culturally, habitually, how we look at it. Um, I know some of you may consider yourselves poor, but then use this definition that we're about to get into. So the World Bank is an organization that was created uh, after World War II because the world economy was a mess. And so the countries got together, created the World Bank to help us f- fix these problems, to help the socioeconomic problem that the entire world was struggling with. It was a huge success, especially in Europe. However, over the decades since then, they've really struggled to alleviate poverty in other areas. And they're like, why was it so easy in Europe, but not so easy here? So they did this study where they interviewed the experts, the poor. They interviewed 60,000 of those categorized as the poorest of the poor. And they did it in 60 areas around the world. So 60 countries and different places where there was extreme poverty. And they asked them to define poverty. This is how... Uh, One person from Moldova described it. See if this sounds like your answer. For For a poor person, everything is terrible. Illness, humiliation, shame. We are cripples. We are afraid of everything. We depend on everyone. No one needs us. We are like garbage that everyone wants to get rid of. Uh, There's another quote here from Guinea. I feel ashamed standing before my children when I have nothing to help feed the family. I'm not well when I'm unemployed. It's terrible. Now, I have a couple more, but I want to pause there in the middle because I want you to start to recognize the difference between what you answered most likely and what they answered. Because we typically define poverty as not having the material goods of food or shelter or health care or um, you know, whatever the other areas are that you came up with, but usually has to do with resources. 
That's how we define poverty. However, notice that there's a pattern here, and they noticed it with Reuben Hernandez is here. Why aren't you in Siberia? Like, you're freaking me out right now. Reuben, you. Sorry, that's Reuben, good buddy of mine who last I knew was in the Antarctic, and here you are. You ever seen that, that movie, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty? And that guy's following the other guy. He wants to be like him. That's the him. That's the other guy. Sorry. Back to where we were. So the way you defined it most likely fits with material goods. However, with the poor, it usually follows these lines. They talk about in terms of shame, inferiority, powerlessness, humiliation, fear, hopelessness, depression, social isolation, and voicelessness. Do you hear the difference there? We talk about material goods. They talk about from emotional standpoint. The effects of it. What the real problem with poverty is, is what's happening, not because they don't have those goods, because you could even have those goods and yet still be in poverty. Jesus talks all the time about the poor. There's an emphasis there. But we need to understand who the poor are. That doesn't mean we ignore the lack of material goods. We're going to get to that. However, we need to really understand poverty. And sometimes when we try to help, we're actually making things worse. This, this, this quote about the, when I went through all of the ways it's defined, I got that from a book called When Helping Hurts. Now, there's some things I left out of the situation when the guy came up to my car. What I left out was that I could see in my rearview mirror, I could see that he was going to other cars. Now, I've worked with the poor for about 22 years of my life. And in that time, I've noticed patterns. And I've made tons of mistakes where I'm like, you know what? I want to help. And I'll go and do projects. And I'll do things. And I'll hand out money. And, and, and actually, I'm making things worse. Because this guy is dependent on everybody to give him money. And you know what? He's not really excited about it. But it's easy and it works. Most likely, he's struggling with shame. Most likely, he's struggling with humiliation. And he doesn't like that being brought to his attention. And so when he comes around and asks me, and I was thinking all the same things, like, how can I get out of this? doesn't matter how long you've done it. You're just like, ah, I don't want to let this guy down, but I'm not giving him money anymore. I just don't do it anymore. There's a rare few times where I feel like, no, I need to do this. I need to do it right now. However, when he walked around, he asked me for money. I go, you know what? No, but I can help you with this situation because you say you don't have a job. You know what? Let's drive to IHOPE, and I'll take you over there, and we can, like, they help people get jobs. And you know what? They, there's plenty of people that need people that are going to work hard. Let's go do that. And he looks at me kind of like, uh, and then he says, no, I hope it's a cult. I'm like, a cult? It's a social services organization. What are you talking about? Have you ever been there? No, nah, yeah, I've heard of him. I'm not going. He didn't want it. It's not my job to get him, but it's not my job to exacerbate this situation he's in by making him dependent. He's a human being. He can work. He can do this. He's not at a disadvantage. I don't know what happened to him, and I need to figure that out. But I, I have to go the extra mile. Instead of taking the easy way out and just giving him a dollar. In fact, you know if you get 50 cents, he'll leave you alone, right? That's the easy way out. Uh, my friend Nordy, when we turned the corner to leave, I said, dude, you shouldn't have done that. He's like, why, man? That guy, I know that guy was legit. I go, tell you, man, I've seen this enough. It's not. This is not helping. It's actually making things worse. So we exit. Uh, it's on the corner, so we exit one corner, and we've got to turn that way. We couldn't get out that way because it was blocked, so we go. So we get to see what happens. Now, it doesn't take long to turn the corner, right? Like 15 seconds, pull out, come to the corner, and as we're driving, sure enough, he's already hit another person. 
My buddy gave him 20 bucks. That's plenty of gas money, right? Boom. He's asking for more. He, we see him look at someone go, boop, pop the trunk. John loses it. He's like, what? He just pulls over. He doesn't even wait for the, like, you know, the, the driveway to pull up. He goes over the curb, barely misses the mailbox, pops up, and like he's right in the little gas lane. You know what I mean? Because you can do that really easy there on that kind of concrete. And he's like all sideways like this. And as the car's stopping, he's popping out. Like, I don't even know if he actually hit the brakes, but he's popping out. What? And he's yelling at the guy because he felt taken advantage of. So he feels bad now. And you know what? Also, he's created a situation for this guy. I don't know where this guy came up with a Mercedes. It's his car. But he's living off of others. And he knows he's lying every day and has to live in the shame of that. And we exacerbated that situation. Instead of us just going and saying, hey, let me take care of this for you. There's different way. There's no perfect way to do this. My point here is this. Is that if we're going to do this, you need to actually get involved. This is costly. But this is what God requires of us. Let's look at, we looked at this last week, Isaiah 58, 7. And we looked at this verse. Did I get to the other, other two quotes? Okay, maybe we'll get to those later. Um, Isaiah 58, 7. A fast for me, and remember this is God speaking. We talked about this last week. This is God speaking about all the religious rituals. And they would fast and they would bring these offerings. And he says, what kind of fast have you chosen? That is not the fast I have chosen for you. Which means this is not the religious ritual I have chosen for you. This is the fast that I have chosen. It involves sharing your food with people who have none. Notice the difference there. Not just giving them money to go get food, but actually sharing your food with them. You know, it's really easy when you just bring your extra food to like the food bank. But what about your actual food? And you just cut it in half or even more than half and give it to them. Or all of it. That costs. Giving those who are homeless a space in your home. What? Like, in my house? Look, I'll help you get a hotel room. I'll help you do this. But let them into your home. Now, there has to be wisdom here with this as well. I've made this mistake. I, <laughs> you have to be smart. That's where we're going with this morning. You have to learn from your experiences. And the Word of God doesn't give us the permission to be lazy. So one of the things I learned in giving your home to someone is that I had a situation where we had these guys from Africa that we met. And I'm like, come on in. So they moved into my house, three Africans, me and a bunch of other guys, single guys. And they're in a house, and they didn't leave for two months. Like, I guess it was culturally expecting. Like, cool, these are Americans. We can do this. This is what they do here. They didn't understand that. I had to sit them down and go, man, this isn't working. Like, you guys have no plans to move out. <laughs> like, we give you a week. You got you to get up on your own. Because they weren't planning on doing anything. They weren't planning on getting jobs or anything. And yet, I've had situations since then where we had friends that have nowhere to live. They've gone through a divorce. And they're just struggling. And they have a place to live. But you still say, you know what? Why don't you come live with us? Let's help you get back on your feet. Because... We know they need someone to be with them. The real problem is they don't have, not that they don't have a place to live. The real problem was this person just went through a divorce and feels like a failure and he's broken and he's struggling. And he needed friends that said, you know, just come stay with us. Be around our kids. Eat dinner with us. Be here. We want to be with you. See, you can't come up with these excuses. You can't just go, oh, I heard that sermon. Next time someone comes up, I'm on the phone and rolling up my windows because that's what God wants. 
No, what God wants you to do is actually get involved. This costs. It's much easier to throw the dollar out than it is to share your own food. Sharing space in your home. Giving clothes to those who need them. You have to understand, this is a culture where they don't have a wardrobe. This is a culture that doesn't wake up. This culture where Jesus... It, well, actually, this is 700 years before Jesus. This, this period of time with Isaiah, they don't wake up in the morning and go, mm, this isn't really fitting. I'm going to try this. There's like, I have one set of clothes, and if I'm wealthy, I have another one. And so to give clothes means you're giving your extra set of clothes, which is a big deal because now you just have one. And then the last one here, and not neglecting your own family. To not neglect your own family. You know what? Sometimes it's the easiest to care for other people than it is to care for the broken within your family. The people that are struggling with addiction. The people that are struggling with relationship stuff. The people that just seem to have those patterns over and over again. And maybe the best way you can love them is by not giving them the money. And that's very painful. But you do it because you love them. To really, truly love the poor, the broken, the oppressed, like we talked about last week, is extremely costly. It will cost you your living sacrifice. This is what God is calling us to. I want us to look at those two, um, those two uh, quotes that I left out. Because I want you to hear what they're struggling with. This person from Uganda says this, When one is poor, she has no say in public. She feels, see that? She feels inferior. Most likely, none of us, when you're in your group, talked about the feelings or the emotional part of it, but that's the worst part. It's not that she doesn't have the say in public. It's that sense of inferiority and helplessness and lack of control. And the last one. This person's from Vietnam. If you are hungry, you will always be hungry. If you are poor... You will always be poor. This person doesn't feel any hope because their parents were poor, their grandparents were poor. There's a cycle they can't get out of. Just sending a dollar over there is not going to fix it. There's nothing wrong with that. We at Branches actually do that. We support some amazing organizations and groups. But there is no replacement for what Isaiah is calling the people to. God said this to his people. You are not following me. You're doing all the religious rituals, but you personally are not caring for people. You are not there with them. Let's look at uh, Isaiah 1. That's the part we're going to focus on this morning. Isaiah 1, 16 and 17. So he says, actually, let's let's go back to 12 and 13. Sorry, man. Amara. Uh, When you come to appear before me. Remember, God is in in the idea of them coming to temple or coming to church. This is the big church of Jerusalem. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Which means bringing all these animals in to sacrifice. You know, it's their resources. It's like, you know, a, a cow or a goat or a bird is like, it's their, it's their livelihood. And some of them would come and not have that. that wasn't, they weren't um, subsistence farmers. They didn't have their own cattle. So they'd have people at the church selling like, hey, we got doves, two for a quarter. Hey, we got some goats over here for 20 bucks. So you could go and buy your offering. And God's seen all this, and that's why he refers to this. Who asked this of you, this trampling, like animals come in of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. 
Now, God could have been a little gentler here. We might have to have a conversation with him about that. Detestable? Isn't that a little intense? Couldn't you just say, hey, you know what? The offering's cool and all. I know where your heart's at. But, so there must be a pattern of repetition here. There must be like this frustration where God is like, look, you're not listening when I communicate this. So hear me. This is not what I have for you. This is not what I have for you. This is not going to bring you the joy that I created you for. It's not the religious rituals that I need from you. I need you to care for each other. And this is what it looks like. Verses 16 and 17, a few verses down. Wash and make yourselves clean. He's not talking about taking a shower, cleaning your head. But clean yourself up, change. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Still referring to these offerings. Stop doing wrong. And then I highlighted and italicized these words right here. Because this is what I want us to focus on this morning. Because we, like the people of Israel, need to learn to do right. We need to seek justice. We need to encourage the oppressed. We need to defend the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widow. The main focus there is learning to do right because we have to learn. We can't be lazy in caring for each other. We need to know them. We need to care about them. You can't just do something because you can usually cause more problems. And then all of the verbs involved there. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed, which emphasizes being present. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. When you, when you have a friend that's in the hospital and you text them, they feel encouraged. However, there's nothing that's more encouraging than if you actually go and show up. And they look at you like, wow, you just, you're here, thanks. That means something. When someone's gone through something, you visit their home. Maybe you drop something off on their doorstep and you run away. But you, you went there. There's something more to that. We all know what it's like. That doesn't take away from the text. That doesn't take away from whatever else you did from a distance. But there's something different when we come up close. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Which means you have to stand up against others. Because you're defending against two, against someone. You have to stand up next to them against someone else. Plead the case of the widow. It means someone is going against the widow, and you have to stand up and stand up for her. This is tough. This is difficult to do. Um, we, we had a few situations where we've had people that came to the church and said, hey, I need money for rent, or I need money for my electric bill. And we used to just give it, you know, especially uh, uh, a few years ago. Um, more like what I'm talking about is nine years ago. And I remember a specific situation where someone came in, hey, I'm having a tough time, I need to do this. And you know what? We had a lot going on. I personally had a lot going on. It would have been a lot easier. The money was in the budget. Just go, here you go. But that was going to make things worse. Because this person had a pattern of that. Um, a pattern of not managing their money, of not doing this and not doing that. And so what we had to do instead, of taking, instead of taking the easy road out, was to say, okay, let's do this. We have a friend who's a financial planner. Let's take you and let's go sit down with them. Let's look at all your bills. Let's figure this out because this is going to happen again. We, this is just a band-aid. This isn't going to fix the problem. And it took a lot more time going and meeting with them. And then there was some miscommunication. Then we had to go back again. Then we had to figure out this situation. Then help her to find a job. Then communicate with her about this job. Like, hey, you're doing this. You're going to lose this job. 
That's not working. We had to help the communication between the boss and her. It wasn't easy. It would have been a lot easier just to give the money for that rent and just be done with it, right? But it's not helping her. It's not really caring for her. We knew her well enough to know this was a pattern in her life. And we wanted to walk with her. We wanted to help her so that she didn't have to struggle with shame. We could have given her the money. It doesn't take away the real poverty of what she was struggling with. She felt like a failure. And she wasn't. She just needed some help and support. And she had to make the adjustments. Learning to do right. I want to invite up my friend Aaron Pulse. If you guys could welcome up Aaron. Aaron is uh, one of our interns at La Casa. For those who are visiting, um, La Casa is our, we have a house that we rent in uh, La Zanja. For those of you that know the area, the people that live there. In fact, one of my funniest stories, I can't remember who they came up to, whether it's Aaron or um, Rex. They came up and they said, um, what's the deal, man? Why are you living here? Why are you living in the ghetto? Like they call it the ghetto. And um, well, the reason they're there they have two words that they have to hold on to. They're there to learn, and then after they've learned, then they can love. And so uh, Aaron's been there for three months. I guess today's his three-month anniversary. Tell him happy anniversary. So he's been there for three months, and it was cool starting out. I'll have him share more of the details. But he was really antsy to get started. And then we'd say, no, you can't do anything. I'll let him fill in the blanks from there. So when I first moved in, I was super antsy, like Boogie said, because I have lots of short-term mission experience. I mean, about to finish college, studying how to educate people. Like, I have this entire framework of skills that I'm just going to come in and implement. It's going to be rad and going to uplift the community. Fantastic. But I was humbled real quickly because I got there and I realized that I had a me and them mentality rather than an us mentality, which is really important because they live in a really tight community, which was exactly opposite of how I grew up, you know, typical white neighborhood. Our family relied on our own jobs, our own achievements, our own education. They rely on each other to fulfill them, to sustain them, and that was just really foreign to me. And I realized that in order to care for people, you have to know them and you have to love them. And in order to serve them, you have to love them but I didn't even know them. So how would I implement something effective if I don't even know these people who are so community-driven? But thankfully, because everyone in the community has been just awesome and friendly, and they served me open-handed, they invite me into their living rooms, they invite me into their garage, which is like the hangout spot. Um, Only then have I been included in the community, and only then have I been enabled to start knowing what the problems are and just loving them. And it's not one big event or one huge gift. It's just the small, consistent, habitual things that really make a difference to show them that we love them and we care for them and we want to we help them. Um, and it would make sense that that works because that's totally how God loves us through Jesus. Like, it's not just one big gift of forgiveness. Like, here's the event, you're forgiven, but I'm Balin, so if you sin after this, you're on your own. No, it's not like that. He's constantly just giving us this unconditional love with open hands so that when we do screw up, he's still there. It's habitual, and that is what really drives us to to be empowered to, to serve and to love is because Christ first loved us, and the community first loved me so that I can in the future um, serve them in return. So that's what I've learned so far. Thank you, guys.
What I'm hoping that we hear this morning is the heart of God. And whenever you want to know what the heart of God is, you just have to see the actions of Jesus. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Think of Jesus with Zacchaeus. If you don't know who Zacchaeus is, who's that guy? Jesus walking down the road. There's a, a man up in a tree because he was too short to see everybody. He's up in the tree. And this man is not materially poor. He's probably the richest one in that group. But he was a thief. Uh, And so Jesus invites himself to eat with him. And Zacchaeus doesn't feel shame and humiliation by this. He feels honored because Jesus is willing to sit with him. This was a man who had material goods yet was broken. We see Jesus with the Samaritan woman. A woman who at that time, uh, because she's a woman, is marginalized. And yet at this point, Jesus is thirsty and she has the water. And they're out at this well. And as they're sitting there, Jesus asks her for water. And she says, why are you asking me for water? You don't even talk to Samaritans. And as they start to talk, she, starts, she says this when she leaves. She says, he knew everything about me. And it's from that moment that she felt different. Her life changed because there was someone else that knew her. That's the nature of God. Think, think of all the amazing projects that Jesus started when he was here in his three years of ministry. Can you think of one? He just walked and loved and cared. And sometimes he healed and sometimes he didn't. Think about them dropping the paralytic down from the roof. The man was dropped down because he couldn't walk. And they dropped him down because they knew Jesus could heal him. And so Jesus, you know what he does? He says, glad you're here. You're forgiven of your sins. Wait, wait, what about the healing? He doesn't deal with that yet. He deals with the real problem is. Not the symptoms, but the real problem. This man's a broken man. That's not why he can't walk, but that's the real problem. And Jesus knows him well enough to know that. And then he says this, so that you will know that the Son of God has power to heal and to forgive sins, and especially to forgive sins, then I'll heal him. He healed him to show that he has the power to forgive sins, the real problem. We need to understand what poverty really is. If we're going to obey God and we're going to spend ourselves then we need to know what that looks like. It is not simple and not easy. It is costly. And we'll close with this from Isaiah 58. And if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness. These are people right now who are oppressed. The the people of Israel are broken. And he says, but if you will spend yourselves for the hungry, then light will come into your darkness. You know, there's that thing that people always say, that name it, claim it. Like, if you follow God, then God's going to give you money. But this is the exact opposite of what God is actually teaching. He's saying if you take your material goods and take your stuff and spend yourself for others, then the real light will come and shine. The thing you're really hungering for, the real thing you want will appear. And your nights will become like the noonday. I'm going to invite the worship team up. If you guys could join me by standing, please. What we're going to do is we're going to uh, take communion together. And when we look at what it looks like for us to care for those people around us, and I don't want to refer to them as the poor anymore, because that means we've categorized them as different from us. The way that we need to look at it is, is we need to spend ourselves for each other. And the Bible is clear. You start with the church, the people in your community. 
So if you're part of this church, you care for each other. If you're part of another church, you care for each other. And then we need to care for our family. And then we need to care for the people outside. We're required to do it that way. But that is too difficult. Unless you realize what Christ did for us. That he spent himself for us. That on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, look, this is my body which is being broken for you. Another way to say, I'm spending myself for you. And then he took the wine and he said, this is my blood which is being shed for you. Which is another way to say, I'm spending myself for you. God came to show us this. And he didn't do it grumbling. He did it joyfully, as Hebrew says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. 